So I want to start this episode with a question for you. Well, two questions, actually. Are you sitting down? Are you comfortable? Don't worry, I'm not about to drop some bad news bomb. I ask because, well, they brought it up. I think this is by far the most comfortable seating arrangement we've had at one of these. It is true. Really? It is true. That would be, in order, Republican mayoral candidate Kenny Smith and Democratic mayoral candidate Vi Lyles. Oh, and the inquisitive one, the man who asked, really? That's Mike Collins, host of Charlotte Talks. He moderated the recent WFAE mayoral debate at McGlowan Theater. And if you've ever wondered what candidates and moderators talk about on stage just before a debate kicks off, in this case, it was all about chairs, present and past. What do they make you sit on? Thumbtacks? It, 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 it varies. Yeah, stools that are very high, my feet dangle. But, you know, that's one that I really... Is that television or just public appearance? Both. Both. Okay. We were at a millennial forum, forum last week, which is great. Um, but the mics kind of covered your head, and we were on high stools. They had soft backs, but it was um, not quite as comfortable as kind of the director's chair. And if you're running for mayor or city council or any office where you have to look comfortable and confident in front of a live audience, all while your posterior is, well, the butt of a bad chair joke, it's challenging. So are you rethinking your run for mayor now because of the <laughs> seating arrangements? <laughs> No, we're no. taking folding chairs everywhere we go. <laughs> I warned you, this podcast was going to show you the very real world of being a candidate. But no, I didn't think it would literally be from the bottom up. I'm Tom Bullock, Charlotte's only official, not real candidate for mayor. And this is Candidate Me. Okay, folks. Here's hoping you are in a comfortable seat because this episode is honestly jam-packed. I go positive and negative against myself. Yes, our campaign ads are here and my colleagues had way too much fun recording them. You'll hear what I mean. Then the hacks are back. Our biased yet bipartisan political panel and I walk through all the races in Charlotte from mayor on down. And finally, with election day less than two weeks away and early voting already taking place, we roll out a new feature, actual candidates playing Mad Libs of a sort, in order to inform you on who they are and why you should vote for them. All this after this short, not real, commercial break. Who is candidate me? His real name is Tom Bullock. As a journalist, all he really does each day is talk about problems like politics, traffic, crime, and schools. His campaign isn't real, but those issues are. If you think all real politicians do is talk anyway, why not pick the fake candidate to run the city? Especially since he sounds good on the radio. Candidate me, maybe Charlotte needs an admitted fake politician. And there it is, the first official, not real, political ad for Candidate Me. If you listened to our last episode, you probably recognize the narrator. Catherine Smith is a professional voiceover artist who does a lot of work for actual candidates. Catherine was a key part of our last episode, which looked at the science and psychology of making political ads and why they work. That episode was called Add It Up. Today, we get practical with episode 10 find the sum. 
Candidate Me is a bipartisan affair, and since the last ad maker we talked with was a Democrat, I decided to bring in this man for some specific advice. My name is Alfredo Rodriguez. I am owner, founder, and president of Dice Communications. He's been making political ads for more than a decade. Uh, I'm a Republican consultant, and um, that's what I do. Political ads of all kinds are important, Rodriguez says, because they tell voters who you are and what you believe in. Without them, he warns candidates come Election Day. You're simply going to be a first name and a last name um, on a computer screen or, or uh, a ballot, and, and people aren't going to know anything about you. And there's not enough time in an election season to shake enough hands or kiss enough babies to reach as many people as a well-placed ad. But ads which define candidates come from different camps, and they can define that candidate in very different ways. Candidate Me is a pretty positive guy, so let's start with writing a positive ad about me. I would say it's a little bit more difficult to write a positive ad. Um, Typically, um, because you are talking about a candidate's biography, uh, you're talking about their ideas. And you don't have much time or all that many words to do so. What is the average word count of a 30-second ad? Sure. I try to keep it always as closely possible to 70 words. For some context, there were 23 words in my last question and his brief answer. So yeah, words count, and so do topics. Take something simple, like a getting-to-know-me ad, basically the biography of a candidate. You will run into situations where there's a candidate that wants to embellish and, and brag about themselves a little too much, and, and you need to rein them back in and let them know that just simply may not be believable, even if it is true. And here's an example about me. Hi there, I'm Candidate Me, an award-winning journalist who's covered Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Iran, Haiti, Egypt, Libya, Lebanon, and more. All those things are true, but does that make you feel connected to me in some way? If you could actually vote for me, which you cannot, would an ad like that make you do so? Would that make you like me more? Probably not. I try to simplify it to to this aspect. Um, It's a student council election. It's the classic popularity contest. Right. And and I I think at the end of the day, with any positive ad, you want someone to be able to say... You know, I like that candidate because they're like my neighbor. Or I like that candidate because they're like the other parents at my children's school. Or that the candidate is like that particular voter. It's all about building some kind of personal connection. Like this. Hi there. I may be a pretend candidate, but I do live in the real world. I wake up in the morning, drink coffee. I hate the traffic when I'm driving to work but not as much as the traffic when I'm heading home. I eat food, drink liquids. On occasion, I like beer or wine or whatever adult beverage you like. So yeah, I'm just like you. Candidate me. Maybe Charlotte needs an admitted fake politician. Hateful by no one, especially not the committee to elect candidate me, because no such committee exists. This is a fake campaign with no money. Seriously. But hey, it's fun to talk really fast. Now it's time to go to the dark side. 
Alfredo Rodriguez says when it comes to negative political ads, there's really only one rule. And it's mesmerizing how many times uh, politicians uh, on both sides of the aisle fall, fall subject to this. Invoking, you know, Hitler uh, is, is, always, uh, is always to your own detriment. Okay, let's get back on track. Why do you produce a negative ad? Because you want to instill fear. Which can motivate your political base. You want to instill doubt. In your opponent's base to keep them from voting. Attack ads, Rodriguez says, are about a menacing mood as much as message. You never want to make a negative ad feel too rushed. Um, You want it to be very deliberate. Um, You want to have pauses where possible uh, and where necessary. To essentially have the the audience think about what's being said. And as for what's being said, Rodriguez tells me facts are good in negative ads. But politics shows us that facts are fungible. Taking something out of context, twisting something to fit what you want it to be, working in a dark gray area, if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. That stretching often comes without consequences. Candidates are protected through political speech and can say just about anything they want about another candidate so long as their disclaimer is on that ad. The disclaimer, by the way, is the tiny text on the screen or that really fast narrator on radio or a candidate saying, I'm so-and-so and I approve this message. There is one thing you may not know about my pretend campaign for mayor. I actually have an opponent. And he is a dubious character in a questionable line of work. So distrusted is he that when I offered my colleagues a chance to voice an attack ad about him, a bunch of hands went up. Yep, my pretend opponent is me. I gave two of my fellow WFAE folks a script with just these words to guide them. Slimy Ultra Negative. That's our All Things Considered host, Mark Rumsey. And here's part of what he came up with. Journalists, can they be trusted? Especially one who admits he's running a fake campaign. Candidate me has never cast a vote, never taken a stand. Instead, he just... Believe it or not, he was kind compared to reporter Sarah D'Elia, whom I've apparently offended. Journalists can be trusted, especially one who admits he's running a fake campaign. Candidate Me has never cast a vote, never taken a stand. Instead, he just reports on what others actually do. And he doesn't even live in the cities pretending to want to run. You actually can't vote for Candidate Me come November. And now you know why. Candidate me, fake candidate, really bad for Charlotte. Yikes. Now, let's hear a professional's take, complete with music at all. After I take that bruising, I'll introduce our version of a voting guide. Yes, with a twist, and we'll run through where the real races for Charlotte stand with our political hacks. You're listening to Candidate Me, the good one. Journalists, can they be trusted? Especially one who's admitted he's running a fake campaign. Candidate Me has never cast a vote, never taken a stand. Instead, he just reports on what others actually do. 
And he doesn't even live in the city he's pretending to want to run. You can't actually vote for candidate me come November, and now you know why. Candidate me, fake candidate, really bad for Charlotte. Paid for by no one, especially not the committee to elect candidate me, because no such committee exists. This is a fake campaign with no money, seriously. But hey, it's fun to talk really fast. After that, you may be thinking about voting for a real candidate on November 7th, which is good since you really can't vote for me. And I do want to help inform your vote. So we're putting together a voting guide which will be featured in next week's episode. I'm calling it Candidate Them. But yes, it involves a very Candidate Me twist. It involves a bit of revenge for all the candidate spam sent out this election. I wrote a form letter beginning with the words, Dear Candidate, and I asked them to fill in a Mad Lib, answer two questions, and leave their answers on a voicemail. No one has had a Mad Lib format. I really enjoyed that one. That is Parker Keynes, a Republican candidate for an at-large seat on the Charlotte City Council. He gets a little extra attention because Parker Keynes was the first candidate to rise to the Candidate Them Challenge. I'm curious, what did you think when you got my, my little form letter? I thought it was great. Any opportunity for engagement is always a positive. The Mad Lib portion is simple. Hi, my name is blank, and I'm a, insert political party here, running for blank. Then came the two questions. First, the most important issue for me is, and if elected, here's how I would fix or address that issue. The second question is this. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. And since we already have one in hand, here is a preview. Hi, my name is Parker Keynes, and I'm a Republican running for Charlotte City Council at large. The most important issue for me is public safety. If elected, I would address this issue by fostering a mutual trust between the community and government, as well as our public safety officials. And I believe that the government needs to take the first step in offering that accountability before we find ourselves in a completely untrustworthy situation uh, between the people and our government. If you, the voter, haven't made up your mind yet, this may help. Here's one thing about me that may sway your vote. I promise to put Charlotte first. Instead of putting us in the international headlines for embarrassing issues, I'll only focus on the issues that are focused around Charlotte's growth, opportunity, public safety, and transportation, the things that matter to the people that live here. Thanks for your time. Next week, a big portion of Candidate Me will become Candidate Them. I'll play every candidate that sends in a response, and I've sent this to every candidate who's still in a contested race for the Charlotte City Council, Libertarian, Republican, and Democrat. So, all you real candidates, call me. Check your email. You've got the number. As for the races outside Charlotte, we'll be talking about those next week as well. But up next, we bring our hacks back to run through where the races stand less than two weeks before the big day. You're listening to Candidate Me. Now is the time when we talk about the real races and actual candidates. You know it as our completely biased political panel. Dan McCorkle is our Democratic political strategist, and Larry Shaheen is our Republican political strategist. Gentlemen, 
Welcome back. Howdy. Yay. It's been a while. I hope things have been good. Oh, we've been busy. We'll get into exactly what you guys have been doing here in a second. But since this episode, we've been talking about ads. I actually want to start with a constituent question. It comes from Andre, and he asks, how prevalent are negative campaign tactics like attack ads at different levels of government? Is it always as prevalent in local elections as in high-profile races? On a local level, you don't really get the really nasty, deep stuff you'll get on a federal level or even a state level. I mean, it's mostly more contrast ads. I voted for this and my opponent did not. It's not inherently my opponent is a monster uh, like you get on some levels of politics. So it's a little bit different on a municipal level. Now, Larry, of course, loves negative ads. Oh, I do? Really? (laughs) No, the funny part about this is that you have to understand that whether you go negative or stay positive, it's, it's a function of budget. I think that's the most important part about this is that you have to be able to fundraise to do the opposition research and then be able to get your name out there. Now, I'll tell you this. Negative campaigning happens far more in challenges to incumbent elected, to incumbent elected officials than it does in sure. just straight-up primary Well, that's And that makes sense because they're the ones with a record that can go potentially negative. Well, actually, you'll find that the negativity comes mostly from the elected official side than it does from the challenger side. Because the challenger side – because I, I like to take draw a very distinct difference between – Pure negative, mm-hmm. which is taking personal or uh, professional information on an individual and using it to influence an individual's view of their it's, persona. As Dan said, it's yeah. making them a monster. It's making them a monster. And then there's contrast, which is I would support this, this other person has voted this way or this way or this way. I think the contrast stuff, the support stuff, very legitimate. Not only very it's legitimate, politics. Use, it's politics. You have to do that. You have to do that. It doesn't stuff, make it yeah. personal. Well, let's move on. We are – actually less than two weeks away from this year's election. We've already got early voting underway. So I want to drill down on Charlotte-specific races, and let's let's really look at each of them. We're going to start at the top of the ticket, the big race, of course, the race for Charlotte mayor. And this week, Spectrum News came out with a poll mm-hmm. that shows Republican Kenny Smith and Democrat Vi Lyles, in, in essence, a statistical tie or at least a dead heat, with Kenny Smith getting 40% of the vote, Vi Lyles leading with 41% of the vote, and 19% were undecided. Now, there, there are a lot of questions I still have about this poll. It's based on the response of 517, quote, actual or likely voters. It has a margin of error of 4.4%, which is, you know, not, not small. You like to see them more in the 3% range. But, like, they never actually said – I've never seen the crosstab, so I don't know how the question was asked, and I don't know the right. party breakdown of the respondents. That is my, that is my main key with that. I've, uh, it looks like it's a, it's majority unaffiliated, which is, which is fine. Well, that's the actually problem, the that's actually I, interesting because unaffiliated voters are so key here. Well, and let's they're, remember they're, they're, they're they don't vote that well in municipal elections. They vote very low in municipal let's, elections. Let's let's back up. It's important to identify these folks correctly. They were not they were not identified as unaffiliated voters. They were self-identified as independents. It was independent conservative leaning, independent liberal leaning, and pure independents. It was a majority of independents. And actually, I'll go a step further. If you look at the political philosophy of the actual crosstab in terms of the mayoral ballot test question, it actually showed um, that even among African Americans, there was a more conservative bent to it. So I, I think the point number is probably you can look at that margin of error and take it out about another point. I think you've probably got about a four or five percent uh, margin of error there. This is actually my expertise in terms of, of reading the numbers and looking at the polling. But here's the thing: that means that you're talking about the, the people who may or may not come out to vote, but when they do vote, they will flip on an issue. And Kenny Smith. Taking compl- taking out all taking the taking out the Republican name, out the Republican right? Republican name. Kenny Smith. If you take away the Republican name, 
Kenny Smith is right Richard, on the issues, yeah. and Vi Lyles is not. Yeah, but his name is not going it's to going appear to in Kenny solo. Smith, Republican. And in a city that is still 49% Democrat, 22% Republican, the rest unaffiliated. Participation level matters. Every yeah, well, matter. Yes, of course. Voter into always. That's 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 why I always laugh when I see cable news on ele- big election days, and it's like, turnout will, will be the difference. Yes, yes, that's how you yes. count. <laughs> but um, So, Dan, we've heard Larry's take on this. I mean, is well, this here, if you, should Vi Lyles be worried? The first, well... You, I think it's a good energizing thing to have a, a neck and neck race. I love it because, I, oh, my God, I better do this list of calls I was supposed to make. So it is energizing to a campaign. Um, and she's not behind. Technically, she's ahead by one. So whatever. The, the thing that <laughs> I pointed out to me uh, that immediately kind of made me question a poll was that Kenny Smith was getting 25 percent of the African-American vote which has not happened in Charlotte politics for Republican probably into the 1960s or 50s or something that like McCrory that. That McGraw used to get that. Well, no, we did but, not. But listen, okay, I've seen these kind of polls before. Uh, I saw one against Anthony Fox in 2009 where supposedly a quarter of the African-American vote was going to go to John Lasseter. In the end, of course, just like Jennifer Roberts did in 2015, you get 90, 95, even 97% of the African-American vote goes Democratic. Okay, the D beside the name. Vi Lyle's an African-American female with a D beside her name. No way Kenny's getting anywhere close to maybe 5 6 7% of the African-American vote. So when I immediately saw that, that did they undersample African-American votes? Hmm. Or as Larry said, were these unaffiliates that cross back and forth? Uh, like I said, in the end, it is, it is turnout, of course. And turnout matters in Charlotte below 15%, and Kenny could win. Yeah, he's right. Obviously, let's get back to my favorite cliche. Turnout is key. Quick prediction here. What do you both think the actual turnout will be on Election Day? A shade under 20 percent. All right. That's Democrat Dan Larry. (sighs) Turnout's going to be somewhere between 17 and 19 percent. My prediction and his makes a difference. And I'm going to stop you both there. Because I can tell you've missed being on this podcast. Because boy, do you have a lot to say. <laughs> but I want to I want to stop because we need to move down to the city council. We've talked about mayor, but let's start working through all of these other races. And obviously, the next step down on the ticket is city council at large. And I have with me a list of the surviving candidates. I can't remember which one of you gentlemen told me this, but you survive a primary, Absolutely. you win a general. Yes. So this is the list of survivors. And I'm going to start with the Democrats because that is how the Mecklenburg County Board of Elections lists their candidates. I don't want to be accused of favoring one side over the other. I'm also going to say this, Dan, I know that one of the candidates, Dimple Ajmira, is your client. That's right. So I am going to free you up from our usual stricture to talk about your client, but I'm also going to ask you to be fair to the other Democrats that are there. But we're going to break this down into party, so let's focus on the Democrats first. There are four seats that are up in this election. That's right. There are one, two, three, four Democrats. Four strong Democrats. So that's Dimple Ajmira, Julie Iselt, James Smudgy Mitchell, and Braxton Winston. Where do we think these candidates are going to, uh, going to finish? Let's, let's start uh, with Smudgy Mitchell. He has been around. He first got elected in 1999, and he's been on and off on the city council for an amazingly long period of time. Name recognition is, is high. Uh, Julie was a top vote getter in 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to stop you there with Smudgy because Smudgy Mitchell was also nearly didn't make it. Was, I mean, you're talking a margin of, of okay. a couple hundred votes. Yeah, in 2015, here was, here's the issue. He had uh, run for mayor. He had ran for Congress. He had ran for all kinds of things. He ran a very safe campaign, assuming, since I did well in the primary, I'm going to let off the gas. 
and he didn't realize that John Powell had, had thrown a lot of money and a lot mm-hmm. of uh, time into his uh, his race. So I, that is a structural thing in 2015. It's a it's a campaign thing. The campaign should have been more should have robust. Uh, robust yeah, is the word. Or robust is a good word, Larry. And so hopefully he's learned from that lesson. I mean, he's got a lot of experience. Uh, he's got a lot of. Uh, uh, of mileage behind him, what he did not do in 2015, he won to Westside University very well. He got very few votes in South, middle, even middle parts of Charlotte, and so demographically, he had enough to win, but just, but just. All right. So the one person you haven't spoken about is is of course Braxton Winston. Uh, Braxton, like I said, he uh, did very well in the primary. I, uh, a lot of Democrats knew him from the protest mm-hmm. and just all around nice guy, great guy. Um, what kind of campaign he's running, I don't know right now. He has to run a complete campaign to ensure his victory and not be like Smudgy Mitchell in 15 and, and do well in the primary and then suddenly struggle to win the general. You have to, both Democrats and Republicans have to put in an effort in all parts of Charlotte. Okay. You can't leave anything untouched. Um, as far as Julie, like I said, top vote getter, as far as Dimple, She's working very hard. She's the new kid on the block. Uh, she's been in office since January in District 5. Uh, a bit controversial, but also right now the, the news is shifting back into the things she's doing for Eastland Mall. She had some news yesterday about some uh, new development coming to the Eastland Mall area, which she's worked very strong and hard on. So Dimple right now, we've shifted back into not the, uh, not the person that protested Trump, but the person that's actually getting things done from the district. And that was a pivot that was very important for her campaign to start talking about the issues that brought her there in the first place in January. Rank these Democrats where you think they'll finish on the ballot, one through four. Oh, that's cruel. Um, let's say Julie and Smudgy are in a one and two slot and okay. Braxton and Dimple somehow one becomes third and one becomes fourth. So you think Democrats are going to you, you think Democrats are going to sweep? I think we're going to sweep again. I have confidence in our party structure, our candidates, and the Republicans only ran two strong candidates and a third candidate they won't even mention. The Republicans they have no idea, Larry, why y'all only ran two candidates this time. It seems like y'all y'all ran a full slate in thirteen and fifteen, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, I don't think we've had a well. Well, either way, let's focus on the candidates yeah, that are here yeah. right now. You have three. I have two. You have three. I have two. You have three. I don't claim David Michael Rice. You don't need to claim him. He's on the ballot. I don't don't claim him. Now, I'm not voting. All right, so let's start and and give us a breakdown then of Parker Keynes and John Powell. Parker is actually an incredible talent. He's going to be someone who, whether he wins or loses, is going to be a very vital and important individual in our community. Parker. He's a Republican from your neck of the woods over there in Plaza Midwood. I think you've. <laughs> I didn't. And he's also. Been, it's also worth noting he's a millennial Republican. He's a millennial Republican. I mean, there's a lot of us. I mean, uh, we're, we're, really? we exist. Yeah. We exist. Some of y'all. Uh, well, we exist. The 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 thing that we need to remember about Parker is that Parker, first time candidate, is working on his name ID. He's going to run a good campaign. John Powell, on the other hand, is is a known quantity, mm-hmm. endorsed by the Observer. I think we need to first discuss that because I think that my candidates Par- never get endorsed. Yeah, Gary. I know they don't, but you, 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 they win. you through brute force. They win. Um, like that. <laughs> I'm a brute kind of guy <laughs> going through the brick wall there. Bam. Anyway, and the observer endorsement is important because it, 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 it gets picked up in a couple of different places. First and foremost, through that Dilworth Elizabeth Plaza Midwood down Providence. All those areas. Well, but let me let me let me just summarize this really quickly. The, the observer endorsement can be an, important, not because it's going to get him. Republican votes. He's going to get him unaffiliated in Democratic voters as well. Potentially. The, yeah. Perhaps. It will. So I'm going to ask you to rank them here in a second, and then I'm going to ask you both to combine 
the candidates we have to to give me your top four, each of you. But I want to know why it is that you will not utter the name David Michael Rice. The candidate? He, he is the third Republican on the ticket for the at-large race. Well, David Mike, Michael Rice is actually an ex- a reason why from now on I'm going to be requesting and working to make sure that we have a primary in the Republican candidacy for city council at large and for county commission. Primarily because David Michael Rice is someone who uh, is, he's not credible. He runs every year for something. He finds out which one's not going to be filled, goes and runs, and his name's on the ballot. And every year we talk about him, and every year it's getting to a place where it's like, <laughs> the, the the Republicans, we as, and the same problem that Dan talked about in terms of um, getting good candidates to run, we as a party, and, and this is a party function, have to do a better job within the business community of getting our candidates trained, prepped, and ready to run. Because to be successful in this business, it's all about prep. And we are not properly prepping our candidates unless they hire a consultant. And we have to get to a place where people are making decisions to run for city council in November of the even year and announcing in February of the odd year. Gotcha. So now you're down to two. I already know who your third place person is on this list. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how they finish, how would you rank Parker Keynes and John Powell? I think John is the better. I think John is the better candidate. I think John is, and I only give John the edge as a number one because of experience. Parker comes in at number two, and that's just only. And, and I want. And I know Parker's listening. Parker, I love you. I'm just, I'm just, I know you're listening. There's a revelation. I know you're listening. So there's one other candidate that we haven't talked about here, and we do need to mention him, and we do need to talk about him. Stephen D. Fiore is the Libertarian candidate, the only Libertarian. I saw signs. He's got signs. Interesting guy. I got a ponytail. I think he works in the construction industry, I believe. Well spoken guy. Um, That party never really got off the ground in Charlotte. I think they have a couple of hundred actual registered unaffiliates or something like that. Uh, Registered um, libertarian, (laughs) sorry. Wow. so he'll get uh, he'll get some votes. I mean, a handful of votes. And there's been times in the past statewide that they've run a full slate to Libertarian Party. Mecklenburg County didn't seem to to be catching on, but who knows what the future is going to hold? Uh, you know, the Republicans are going to make it easier to be third party pretty soon. Um, Actually, so, they've already done that. Yeah, they've it's done good. It's good that you stay up on the news, Dan. Yeah, they, <laughs> I, just, I get it, I get it capturalized. I listen to the candidate me, and so I know what's going on. Oh, so now I know why you're ill. Oh, you are so <laughs> bad. <laughs> Let's move back to the core question then. Here, out of these eight people, your top four honest assessment mixed list. Mixed list. Unless you don't think that the other party is going to win anything. I'm just saying, consider He's all say of the them. other party is not going to win anything. Well, I don't know. I, he's pretty straight it's up. Been, Let's hear. It's been since 2009 since he won anything. So, so are you going with the straight four? I'm going with the straight James Mitchell, Julie Isett, and Dimple and Braxton. John Powell running under rail very strong because he is everywhere and all things to all people. Um, and so we'll see if that continues onward. But you uh, see that, like, that's not a normal tenet of politics. That is a straight-ahead <laughs> strategy I think I learned about on Schoolhouse Rock. That's right. All right, uh, Larry. Julie's going to be top vote getter. You've got, um, you know, I, I, probably Smudgy, second. And then it's a horse race between the, the, the six remaining. It's going to be between... Um, I know who it's between. Yeah. I, who is your pick? I think Dimple's going to win... I think it's going to ultimately be uh, John Powell or Parker Keynes, 
pick. Coming well, John's the first, then Parker, and then Braxton. Okay. All right, let's move on down now to the district level. Now, I'm going to again. I'm dealing with just the surviving candidates. Um, so District One is decided, right? Larkin, Larkin, Ag- Larkin. Larkin Eggleston won. Great, he's going to be. I'm a. Uh, he is going to be a great got the, city council. Going to have the best beard he's on gonna, the city council. He's going to probably. Well, no, he's going to be a great city council. So he's all said. He has no opponent in the right. general election. Let's move to District 2, and there is a race there between Democrat Justin Harlow and Republican Pete Givens, and there is no incumbent in this race. Mm-hmm. So what are these two gentlemen running on? I, I don't know. They're, Justin Harlow is actually running a very intelligent he's campaign. Running, he's, he's running a, a good, good campaign. He's, he's got a good, good group. And Pete Givens is running a great campaign, too. Pete Givens has got the most energy of any Republican in District 2 I, I've ever seen. But you're talking about District 2, which is so overwhelmingly Democratic. Mm-hmm. Even the best campaign mm-hmm. will... will Barely top twenty, which is why Justin's going to win, um, primarily because of the Black Political Caucus endorsement, as well as his community outreach and the fact natural. that he has been tested through a natural primary. And folks have, are going to look at the two candidates and their issues, and they're going to identify more closely with Justin just based on the makeup of that demographic. So, I, all right, it's going to be overwhelming. Yeah, just, It'll be Justin over seven thirty one. Justin yeah. will win. All right, so let's move to District Three, and this is interesting. It features uh, incumbent Democrat Lamana Mayfield and Republican Daniel Herrera. So what are their key points? Key points uh, for Luana Mayfield, who ha- has matured tremendously since she first got elected in 2011. Wait, wait, wait. I got a call. Nope, 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 nope. Stop, stop, let him go. You're going to get your chance. As far as what she is doing for the district, new businesses coming to the district, infrastructure improvements. Um, so Luana has learned how to be a city council district rep and bring things home to the district. Larry, you can talk all you want to about what she said about President Trump. But you know what? I bet a majority, a, a huge majority of that district feels that same way. All right, Larry, your turn. I don't disagree with that. And I don't disagree with, with Dan's assessment of her maturity because Luana is a, Luana and I, we see each other, we hug each other. She's a great lady. Mm-hmm. Just flat out. She is. She's a wonderful lady. I disagree completely with what she tweeted. And I think that she needs to understand that there are a lot of Republicans out here who like Luana and don't just may disagree with her on issues, but don't particularly like being associated with, with, with Nazism. I think that that's just, I think that, that, that she's above that. She's better than that. All right. Now let's talk about her opponent. Yeah. Daniel's great. Daniel, Daniel Herrera is his name. Daniel, He's young. Daniel, yeah. Daniel Herrera was a law student at Charlotte school of law. Um, is now full-time campaigning, knocking on doors. He's probably knocked the most doors of anyone running except for the mayor's. How races. many have opened? <laughs> That's not right. The strength, the strength of Daniel Herrera. You still have not gotten. Strength to that. of Daniel Herrera is that he is not he's not campaigning as a, as a politician. And 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 this is where I think Luana needs to stop traveling internationally and nationally to uh, conventions and start actually spending a majority of her time in the district. She, stop talk, she needs to stop talking about national issues. Well, instead of getting more about Daniel, I got more about Luana. Sorry, but yeah, thank you. Make the case. Now, uh, what are your thoughts, Dan, on? Daniel Herrera. Daniel Herrera, I remember him from being the very aggressive guy that protested Dimple and made uh, his his goal was, along with his cohorts in that protest against what she said, was to get on Fox and Friends. He is a very staunch Republican. He probably feels the same way about many Democrats as Luana said about Donald Trump. So don't don't get on Luana for talking about national issues when he just does it just as much. Just not 
maybe so much gets his attention for it. There you go. All right, let's move on to a very non-confrontational race because there is no race. Next district is District 4. I, I got to tell you. Greg Phipps. Un- I got to tell you. Oh, my God. After Lance Greg won and uh, Landslide <laughs> Phipps, after he won, I made an offhand joke about, oh, my God. Greg, so you don't have an opponent. What if no one shows up and you get zero votes, and then what happens then? Okay, I don't know what I did, but he's out there putting out yard signs. He's going to all the events. <laughs> he is talking about doing like some phone calls. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I was just kidding, but fine, keep doing it. You That's could also fine. have just told he him could, that he could just vote himself, and yeah. you're good to go. And, and it made me think: What is there a threshold for an unopposed candidate? I mean, if they get no votes, I mean, they won the primary, but. He just needs to go and vote for himself and his wife and kids will vote for him. That's four votes right there. I'll, uh, I'll get every year. Everyone gets freaked out about this, and every year the person who's the incumbent with no one running wins. Of course, is, of course. On. But it, I love the fact that it's actually coming from the incumbent. That is actually pretty he, funny he and out, actually uh, pretty endearing. On the way here, I saw some Greg Phipps signs. All right, let's move on now to District Five, which is uh, now finally decided. This was the one uh, runoff race, Ooh, and this is uh, Democrat. Yeah, it was Democrat Matt Newton uh, defeated. Democrat uh, Daryl Bonaparte, they now, Matt Newton is now in, he's running unopposed. We haven't really talked about this race. I don't want to spend a ton of time dwelling on it, but I, I think uh, it's worth mentioning. You don't, you, you, do you really I, want to talk about this? I was really surprised okay. at the animosity and the um, the fierceness at the polling place. I remember early voting is, was Independence Boulevard and Hal Marshall. Didn't the police area. get called? A number of uh, things happened. The candidate... Uh, the, the police did get called, yes, correct? They, yes, they did. Um, and they had a special meeting with the Board of Elections chair. Um, the ferocity of the candidate supporters got very intense. And understand that this was someone, uh, and Matt Newton that had ran three times previous, and Daryl Bonaparte that I believe this had ran, this was his seventh or eighth campaign. The desire of the win was very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, the turnout, turnout was extremely low. And the winner will join the city council with winning barely 800 votes. Uh, uh, no, no, that's not true. Actually, in the runoff, Matt, Matt Newton has 970. 970. Yeah. Okay, okay. That's, that's anyway, it's it's done. It's over uh, District 5. Uh, There's going to be another primary in two years, and it's going to be the same people. And it's well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> get to that point when we get there. But let's move now to District 6, and I will grant you, Larry, the same waiver that I granted Dan because you have a candidate yes. in this race, yeah. Republican Tarek Scott Bakari, mm-hmm. um, who is facing off against Libertarian Jeff Scott and Democrat Sam Grundman. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarek's running a campaign. We're running a, we're running a real campaign. And it, and it is worth mentioning that yep. this is a very, classically, this is a Republican district. Yeah, this is a classic Republican this district. This is Kenny Smith's old district. Tarek, yeah, Tarek is going to win. The question is going to be about how much. And the, what... I, and, and look, I, and this is a great story because I want to give uh, the Black Political Caucus chair Colette Forrest a lot of a lot of a lot of credit because she, uh, I'd reached out to her uh, early on about having Tark come and be a part mm-hmm. of the endorsement process, and Tark and I, um, you know, we went to that meeting. Tark got up and spoke at that meeting about trying to build a partnership, trying to build a coalition, and Tark got the endorsement. From the Black Political Caucus, and I was moved almost by that because I think that that was a step forward for our community. I think that was one of those things that I didn't expect. We 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 didn't expect to get it. I mean, on, but you went for it. We yeah, went you for have it. to show up to get it too. You have to show up. Well, Sam was there. Yeah. Sam was there. He debated. He asked for it. There, there's not a lot of African American votes in six or seven. So let's be well, honest about that. But what do you think about the outcome of this race? Because you do have a Democrat the, here, the, Sam Grundman, and a Libertarian. When, it's when, worth you run, when you run in a in, in city council district six or seven, what you're doing is building for the future. 
Uh, you're trying to ID potential strengths and weaknesses. I mean, we're not going to win it. District 6, this is a building for the future. Demographics throughout Charlotte are at some point going to be so overwhelmingly Democrat from top to bottom that uh, it's going to be impossible for Republican to win anything. But right now, let's see where we are. Let's get a good base. Let's get a good base vote in District Six for Democrats. And is that the same case with District Seven, the final city district, where you have incumbent Republican Ed Driggs facing off against Democrat Sharon Roberts? Right. Sharon uh, is going to be a good candidate, uh, a future candidate. She's going to be on our bench. But one thing about uh, District Seven, it used to be uh, tremendously and still is tremendously Republican. However, some pockets are becoming Democratic. Um, I was surprised to learn in, in 2016 that Community House, which is one of the largest precincts in North Carolina, is becoming Democratic. I think the registration is a third, a third, a third. But this is the deepest South precinct you're going to get. Roy Cooper won it, and my candidate for NC House won it. So changing demographics, it has to do with uh, apartments, new condos, who's moving into that area. That is eventually going to change the demographics of District 7. Right now, Ed Drigg is going to win. I think Sharon Roberts has got a great future with the party and a great future if she wants to run again. So, Larry, do you buy that? I do. Full disclosure, Ed Driggs has been a client. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about this is that you can tie this in with District 6. Um, The fact that Tarek and Ed are running campaigns and getting people to the polls is going to have an effect on the mayor's race. Now we can make a circle and tie it all back to the top. Having competitive district races will affect the mayor's race, Mm -hmm. making sure that there's continued... Increased turnout. Justin Harlow's race helps buy. Juan Mayfield's race helps buy. Tark's race helps Kenny. Ed's race helps Kenny. The fact that there's going to be such low turnout in District 4 and District 5 actually benefits Kenny. Because if there's not a district candidate down there turning out the vote, Folks, the, 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 it's harder for the party with a greater demographic to help create. create I, I, I'm just... Now, that's an interesting point. And both of those are Democratic districts. Mm-hmm. So... Is that a concern, or should it be a concern, it's not, it's, of Vilal's campaign? It's not a concern because District 4 is extremely reliable. It's one of our most reliable districts, more so than Districts 3 and 5, uh, traditionally are in a mayoral's race. Uh, and District this, 4, so people District know, this 4, is university. university. So, like I said, I'm not so much worried about District 4 because, as you know, as a party, we're putting a lot of phones and a lot of resources into District 4. We have to. It's just natural. You just do that. I mean, mm-hmm. it would, why would we not do that? For Democrats, uh, you know, we always work to Beatty's Ford Corridor. And we always work university. Uh, and we assume, correctly normally, that Pleasant Bid would deal with Elizabeth has a very high participation. Not as big a numbers as the Weston University, but they vote. The ones that are there vote. And, you know, they're all a bunch of hippies and liberals and Democrats. And there. your neighbors. And, and millennial neighbors. Republicans like Parker Kings. There you go. So, next week, Candidate Me becomes, in part, Candidate Them. We also talk through the races outside Charlotte and wrap up any October surprises. And your questions, send them in. There's still time. Just go to WFAE.org, select Candidate Me from the podcast tab, and you'll see the gray question box. We are getting close, folks. But what will we talk about after November 7th? Thanks for listening to Candidate Me. Paid for by no one, especially not the committee to elect Candidate Me, because no such committee exists. This is a fake campaign with no money. Seriously. But hey, it's fun to talk really fast.